Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast where we break down every episode of the 10 season show. Today we're talking about season six, episode 19, Nancy's Choice. Mary, what happened this week? Just a heads up before we start, this episode contains discussions of abortion and transphobia. Please continue at your discretion. We would rather you be safe than consume this content. Susan is in the running for a journalism award for a piece she wrote about a young woman, Nancy, and her experience making the decision to terminate a pregnancy. Because Susan wrote this story back when Jonathan was the editor of The Condor, he gets to attend the awards dinner, and Brandon hates that. Brandon is still convinced that things between Jonathan and Susan aren't really over. He flip-flops over whether he will attend the awards ceremony, but Nat tells him to stop being dumb and fight for his lady. Susan tells Brandon the real truth about her history with Jonathan and her award-winning article. So... I guess I do want to start this episode with acknowledging that last week that episode ended with Donna being like, your body, your choice. And then this episode's title was Nancy's Choice. And we were like, we don't even know anyone named Nancy. Yeah. Just literally by the second line of this episode, I was like, oh, yeah, that would have made sense. Totally. And now that you mention it, because I'll be honest, I totally forgot that's like how we ended the previous episode. But it's like, now that you mention it, I'm like, yeah, okay, they were telling us that for a reason. And we talk all the time about how, like, are they telling this, us this information for a reason? Or are they just, is this a throwaway or whatever? Now I'm just going to start remembering every single thing that happens in every single episode, because apparently all of it is foreshadowing in one way or another. See, I think that too. And then I end up going down Tumblr rabbit holes like I did today being like, I forgot that there was an episode that mentioned abortion in season two of this show. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, yeah, the idea that we're in season six, we were in like 1996 and this episode is featured so heavily. Like I feel like this show has so much depth and so many layers and so much like to it. And we do not pick up on it. No, not at all. And that's a, you know, a good, that's a good thing for the writing staff. Mm -hmm. Because we'll say this, the show doesn't get stale. Like, I know we kind of, you know, get a little annoyed sometimes with what we may think are filler episodes or there's certain plots within episodes that are like, why is this here? In you know, when there could be a lot more meat on the bone, but like, I feel like we've ha- we've yet to like see two episodes back to back that are like, what is the point of this? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's usually like we might get one that's like, mm, okay, this one's all right. And then immediately followed by one that's packed full of information, plot development, character development, you name it. It's usually not in a row, you know? Yeah. I mean, I you could even kind of say that this one like is a little bit of a standalone episode. There is very little Mm -hmm. plot development of the stories that go on. Like, you know, we'll get to Kelly when we get to Kelly, but like this moment, this whole episode is about Susan attending an award ceremony for an article that she wrote in the past. Yeah. That we didn't like before we knew her, before we knew of her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost kind of like a bottle episode. Right. 
Yeah, that was the word. I could not think of it because I didn't want to call it a filler episode because it's not. Like, yeah. this is not filler material. But yeah, it's like a bottle. It's like a standalone episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing that like you need a little bit of prior knowledge of is the almost love triangle-ish situation between Brandon, Susan, and Jonathan. And then, you know, the Kelly and Colin stuff, like you don't necessarily need to have known what was going on with them. And yeah, I mean, everybody else is just kind of like living their life. Like, this is what I'm doing today is, you know, it's not like predicated on on past episodes. Yeah, because I mean, this episode starts with Susan and Brandon truly just like laying the foundation for the episode. Mm-hmm. Susan wrote an article called Nancy's Choice. It's up for an award. She doesn't think she's going to win. And Brandon is so confident in her that if she doesn't write her thank you speech, he'll write it for her. Yep. And I think it's very interesting that they like pretty immediately go into the newsroom and everybody's in there and they even have a moment of like, why is everyone here? We sent like, there's nothing to do, Mm -hmm. but it's Jonathan (laughs) full on commanding an audience at his old school in his old office rather than doing his job. Yeah, and the reason he's doing it, we learn, is because he is also attending the awards night uh, tomorrow night and sort of planning to be Susan's, like, plus one, but he's not Susan's plus one. It's confusing. All it is is a device to continue the, like, love triangle-ish thing. And Susan's kind of defending his being there because he was the editor of the paper when she originally wrote the piece. So we know this was like a contest, you know, or or I guess not even, I guess it is a contest, but it's up for an award and, uh, you know, perhaps the nomination period or the submission period or whatever was a while ago. So it's taking quite some time um, for this to come around, given that we're in second semester or third quarter, depending on what they used (laughs) back then of school. But Brandon's not pleased regardless. He's like trying to almost avoid the situation because he's been so mad that Jonathan just keeps popping up in his and Susan's life. Yeah. And we've talked before about Brandon's like version of jealousy mm-hmm. with Jonathan. And I think this episode like pretty clearly lays it out for you of like, yeah, Susan and Jonathan did not break up because they didn't love each other anymore. Yeah. They broke up because like unforeseen circumstances happen and they realize they had a difference of opinion, but like mm-hmm. you can disagree with someone's politics, but still care for them. Like yep. it's, it's the unfortunate complicatedness of human emotion. Totally. And I mean, I don't know that I could necessarily do it, but I know a few people that are married and have children and are in a happy relationship with somebody that in a lot of ways, especially in terms of politics, they disagree. And Mm. (laughs) that sounds complicated, (laughs) if I'm being honest. But yeah, I think you make a really good point that Susan and Jonathan didn't break up because they didn't love each other. It's almost like we, because obviously we don't know at this point what the reason was, but it's almost like they broke up out of a difference of opinion it is what it seems like or some tragic event some traumatic event caused them to no longer be together um mm-hmm. which i mean how often do you have you know a high school or a college boyfriend 
and you sit down and like have really political conversations yeah. of just like out of nowhere, what's your thought on abortion? Like it probably yeah. just didn't come up until it came up. Totally. And it also makes me wonder about the like perception of college aged people back, mm -hmm. I guess, 30 years ago, but also today. And thinking how maybe things have changed or not. Um, because I know when I was, let's just say Brandon's age, 20, 21, I don't think I was having these conversations to your point. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think, I think I was in my early stages of like political independence, figuring out my own path, not even just in politics, but like religion and, you know, what I wanted in a partner and things like that. So I don't know that my conversations really centered around anything. And maybe, honestly, this is probably just my privilege speaking, but like all of my conversations with, let's face it, Nate, I've <laughs> been with him since I was 21, they were like so selfish. They were like, you didn't text me back for like four hours. You know, are you mad at me? And it was my insecurities more than some some other deep like global issue or you know, something that affected the world and not just my teeny tiny little bubble, you know? Oh, absolutely. You're, you're in your bubble. You're 21. You're arguably still a kid. I feel like we say that about these guys all the time. Like mm -hmm. the people on this show are still children and like they have to deal with big things that a lot of other people do not have to deal with. I mean, Kelly was dealing with her mother at such a young age think of what Dylan had to go through like that's kind yep. of the whole point of this episode is that Brandon and Brenda move out to California and learn what California like what's happening yeah. out in their world outside of their bubble I just had a wild thought that like 90210 to an extent is the 90s version of euphoria I mean it's essentially the prototype of yeah basically all teen shows like mm -hmm. you know you can argue that Degrassi came first and Degrassi also had you know abortion episodes and all of these different things but I can't say that Degrassi really got anywhere near as big as 90210 did right right for sure for sure you know so the credits roll we get some b-roll footage of people reading but then when we get back to Susan and Jonathan She's asking him why he showed up for this, which I also wanted to know. I literally wrote in my notes, he has a job in Seattle. Why is he here? Yeah. And like I can understand like people being invited to events. But I, again, these are still young, either college students or professionals. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> like just thinking that 22, 23-year-old Jonathan can just take some PTO seemingly whenever he wants to, to fly out to L.A. to just hang. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's wild. Like, when I was 22, my version of vacation was driving, like, you know, four hours to Savannah and staying in, like, a Motel 6 with six other people because mm -hmm. I couldn't afford a hotel room by myself. Yeah, exactly. And so this is the conversation where they start making comments about what Susan sacrificed for this story, which is about when I started picking up what they were putting down. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the episode even starts out and 
defines what what Susan wrote about, and that is abortion. And so we're getting starting to get these little breadcrumbs of what all is not even just in it in the piece, but other people's opinions. So like Jonathan, we learn is pro life, mm-hmm. and I feel like they wouldn't tell us that if it wasn't important, right? And that was on the heels of us hearing Jonathan say to Susan, after all, who else knows how much you sacrificed for this story? So even if it wasn't about Susan, there's a lot of stuff there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Brandon comes over. He's really over Jonathan being around. He's, like, not interested in all this stuff. And again, this is, like, you know, where I'm picking it up that you know, Susan talked about some hold that Jonathan had over her. Like they kissed at New Year. Well, Jonathan kissed Susan at New Year's. Like there is a lot in there for Brandon to be upset about. And like Susan clearly does not, she's not over the feelings that she had. And I, I will say now that at this point in the episode, I've figured out what's happening and that, you know, Jonathan is against the choices that she made. Like, she straight up says, like, he thinks what Nancy did was wrong and that she infringed on Nancy's privacy, which I take to mean Jonathan thought that Susan infringed on his privacy. Right. Like, right. Which, that was a whole thing, too. Like, the whole privacy issue. Because I, I was like, it's such a fine line, right? First mm-hmm. of all, just in terms of having a quote-unquote source or writing a story about someone not just them being a source it's like where do you draw that line and Mm -hmm. yeah you make an excellent point that it wasn't even really about her at this point but perhaps about him and Mm -hmm. his privacy and his thoughts and feelings yeah I want to say later in the episode she says that like he didn't even know he was anti-choice until that was put in front of him and then yes that's when he decided it had to do with his feelings and his privacy and not what she was going through. And I got to say, Brandon's next line of saying that how Nancy feels is more important than what Jonathan feels. Mm. I just like, I wanted to stand up and clap. Like it is not often that I am just like so into what Brandon says, but he's doing really well so far. No, I agree. Like, I think what was most interesting to me about Brandon is that he so easily compartmentalized between his jealousy and like annoyance of Jonathan and then the story. Mm-hmm. It, but it was like, not even just the story. Cause it was still about Susan. It's like, it's almost like he was able to compartmentalize and keep Susan at the forefront. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like this again, we've talked about this so many times. This is why I feel like Bruzen is an A plus couple. Because even though they've had some jealousy thrown in there and they've had some miscommunication and they've had some near cheating and sort of cheating and whatever, I don't know. It's like the core of the relationship is just healthy to me. And maybe it's still chemistry between the actors. I don't know. But like the writing, too, is just really boding well for Brandon. And I didn't expect it. And not in a bad way. It was just I was pleasantly surprised. I think of how he handled just being jealous, but then also like he didn't say that, you know, what 
Nancy's thoughts and feelings were mattered more than Jonathan's. He didn't say that because he hates Jonathan. He said it because he truly believes that like, why did, why does this matter to anybody except the person this is directly affecting? Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. It just, it, yeah. I also wanted to stand up and clap. (laughs) Right. I have an interesting thought that I just thought of that I think part of what makes Brandon and Susan work so well together is they've both had very serious relationships before the two of them. Mm. So like think of how Brandon and Kelly were together. Like at first we loved them, but then there was the whole thing where Dylan decided Kelly was his soulmate. So Brandon like proposed as a way to try and entrap her into a relationship Mm -hmm. And then all this stuff that's going on that we're finding out in this episode with Jonathan and Susan, like, I think they've both just been through enough stuff in their previous relationships that this time they're just like, I get it. Like, we're two human people and we need to be having conversations. We need to be there for each other. No, I agree. And there's something to be said about, you know, what you hear all the time. Like, eventually you start when you're dating people, you start learning what you don't want mm-hmm. so that whenever you do decide to date someone new, you're, you're looking for things. Like It's like, you're finding the things you want because you're, you know what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And so in so many different ways, Kelly and Susan are almost opposites. I mean, outside of Kelly's a blonde, Susan's a brunette, <laughs> you know, like I feel like Susan and Brandon have a lot more in common Mm -hmm. and, and kind of like you said, shared experiences to a degree. So even though there's drama, it's not petty drama. I mean, I know jealousy can be in, you know, like a petty emotion at times, but I don't think this jealousy is like in a petty way. It's, Mm -mm. It's almost like a mature jealousy. Like, I would be lying if I said I don't still get jealous. Like, my husband goes to a female therapist, and sometimes I'm, like, when he's, like, I really like my therapist, I'm, like, in my head, what comes out of my mouth is, oh, I'm really glad you like her. But my head is saying, oh, how much do you like her? Oh, you like her, do you? You know, like, shit like that. But I feel like this this is a healthy way to display jealousy as a real emotion as opposed to, a high school caddy, you know, mm-hmm. emotion. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Brandon keeps like walking away from the situation, which I could also be interpreted as immature, but he's, he's walking away from it because he keeps looking at Susan being like, you're telling me nothing is between the two of you, but there is something there. And I, I'm not in it. Like, this is not where I want to be right now. So I'm removing myself from the situation. And I think that's really all he can do because He's almost because I don't really think he's been pressuring her to tell him Mm-mm. what the real story is. Like at first he was because that that was fresh, right? Mm-hmm. But at this point, you're right. He's just like walking away because he's like, "What else am I gonna do?" Like you tell me there's nothing happening. Clearly there is, but you won't tell me what it is. So I've accepted that. I don't like it, but here we are. So I'm not gonna like say something I regret, mm-hmm. which is growth. Like, I'm picturing the Kelly from Insecure GIF, just that's on growth. (laughs) It really is. And I got, like, I feel like we should talk a little chronologically with everything leading up to the awards dinner. Mm -hmm. And it upsets me because the next scene is so immature 
mm-hmm. and frustrating. And it feels like this complete backslide from everything mm-hmm. that goes on with Susan and Jonathan. Agreed. Because for some reason, Steve and Claire are going to the awards dinner. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why. I get why Chancellor is going. He's the chancellor of the school and Brandon is his boy. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I guess I would get Claire going, but Claire maybe being the chancellor's plus one versus her getting her own plus one on top of it. I don't know. Maybe they just like bought a whole table. And so they were like, we have an extra seat. Go for it. Yeah, that that sounds more plausible that it was a table bought, purchase rather than just like individual seats. I would like plus two, please, for my daughter <laughs> yeah. and her boyfriend. I would love to third wheel tonight. <laughs> I mean, literally, we kind of skipped over it, but Chancellor says earlier, I think, that, like, I would bring a date, but you're taken. Oh, I do think it's adorable that Claire wants her dad to date because she's like, you're a catch. Mm-hmm. Adorable. Yeah, it was like, it was a nice refresher from what a typical kid react like how a typical kid reacts to their parents dating or having any sort of like romantic feelings where they're always mm-hmm. grossed out of it's like no this is actually nice this right? is this is nice like quite literally the opposite of me as far as i'm concerned my parents have never dated they magically <laughs> got together long enough to have a child and then yep. just existed in my life yeah that's just what they are they're they're just parents i mean i'm pretty sure that is what actually happened in my mom and dad's marriage <laughs> but <laughs> Anywho. So because Claire is going to this dinner, she needs to go buy a dress. And she brings Steve with her because that's just what you do. You make your boyfriend go shopping with you and tell you you look great in every single dress. And Steve is Steve and checking out every other woman in the store instead of his banging girlfriend who is picking up like more – like he could just be guiding her in the direction of a dress he wants to see her in later. And instead, he is checking out literally every other woman in the store in front of her. I don't know why she's with him. I don't, I don't. Every now and then we're like, oh my gosh, they're so cute together. She pinned him. Yeah. Like they kind of work. This is disgusting. Well, I think that's the problem. And we've talked about this a thousand times. It's, it's the whole, all right, one episode we like you. And then immediately we like really hate you. It's almost like for as much as we gained, we, lost like it's like they double down on steve mm-hmm. you know it's like oh you like him never mind like <laughs> I, I don't know yeah i swear they're like we got them right where they want where we want them haha and they just pull the rug <laughs> out from under you exactly it's like they try to do the trick where you have like a full set table and a tablecloth underneath and they like were the dishes on the tablecloth <laughs> and like, they try to pull it out and do the trick, but they don't, and so all the dishes just come <laughs> crashing down. Like, that is us with Steve. <laughs> Repeatedly. And they're like, no, 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 we can do it again. Just let us set yeah, up. Just they try it again. All, they spend all shot. the time. <laughs> spend all the time setting it up, and then they just fail again. Mm-hmm. To the point that he sees L, and we have to have a flashback of the whole scene, which I skipped. Oh, me too. Me too. Couldn't watch it. Me too. And then for some reason, they have given Elle the weirdest, like, character sheet of, like, this is what your character is like. Because she sees this man that she met last year. Mm -hmm. And he totally freaked out. And she decides to fuck with him. 
and comes over to say, like the idea that she is just like, I'm going to fuck with cisgendered people using who I am as a person feels so weird to me. It was such a, I don't even know the right word because like now that you say that, it's like, yeah, it's like they told her you're going to be, I don't know. Like I have no words for it because it's like, it makes no sense to me. First, like you said, why she would even approach him. Yeah. When, she's like a troll in real life, like an internet troll. Yeah. And it's like, why would you do this to her? And Out of all the people that Steve has been with, her. Well, and then I found out because I finally decided to look her up on IMDb. She's a full on supermodel. Oh, shit. Yeah. So then I got even more mad because it felt to me like they were so clearly like intent on driving home this joke of like, well, she's a trans woman, but she's so beautiful. How could she possibly be trans? As if to say Mm. that like trans people are just automatically like, I can't even say it because it makes me so mad. No, I'm with you. Like it's, it's like they had to swing so far in one direction Mm -hmm. to be quote-unquote convincing yeah it I I know it's 1996 like I like I get it but it's it's hard because we're in 2022 and we know a lot better now and we should have known better in the 90s but we didn't and it's hard to watch yeah yeah you're right. And I think for me, I was just like offended by it. Like mm-hmm. I it felt offensive. And and I know that's just like me, you know, like like that's my opinion and maybe everybody didn't feel this way, but it was all, I almost was at the point where I was like taking notes and I was like, how did this make it on television? It's you know, I was not on like an HBO type format. I was honestly also thinking about like I didn't look this up, but I wonder when like sensitivity editor sensitivity readers came into play because, you know, people still get it wrong even with things passing through a sensitivity reader now. For sure. But like it definitely feels like you can tell what kind of writer's room and what kind of like editing and network this had to go through because it just passed through. Mm-hmm. And like everything is a joke. Claire gets really upset by this gorgeous woman who comes to flirt with Steve in front of her. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely supposed to be played as a joke. But then we skip forward to that night. Claire is over at Casa Walsh for dinner. And she and Steve are talking to Brandon. And they're like, we're going to be on your side for the entire awards dinner. Like, Jonathan is never going to say anything that passes with us. We're just going to constantly ignore him or talk down to him or just, like, not be nice to him in general. Yeah. Which – feels so like 21 22 oh yeah wild and the fact that Brandon is just like thanks guys yeah like I appreciate that that felt comedic like correctly comedic you know yeah and then they start talking more and like what happened earlier kind of comes up and Steve freaks out and is like I'm gonna go do dishes and so Claire mentions L and Brandon makes a face and is like Trust me, you have nothing to worry about. And then calls her very unique. 
and then goes into the kitchen to make fun of Steve for knowing a trans woman. I didn't and write down any of the comments because I was nope. like, this is transphobic and homophobic. I don't want to write this down. Literally almost word for word what I said. And I yeah. skipped the rest of it. Yep. And the next day, Brandon is in the newsroom. And apparently he has, like, picked up his copy of the Condor. They have copies, like, in the newsroom. And whatever column he wrote didn't run today. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Susan is honestly justified in her role as an editor here saying that he needs a second source and another quote. Mm-hmm. And I also totally understand where Brandon comes from being upset by this because he's like, it's not about the quote. It's about everything else. When it's – I feel like it's pretty clearly about the quote. But he's upset. Yeah. And this is like the blurred lines of working with – your significant other, right? Like where, of course, your feelings blend and bleed into it because how can it not? Yeah, which I'm pretty sure Susan said when they first got together, she was like, I can't date you. I'm your editor. Exactly. Yeah, which is so interesting now that we also like learned a few scenes ago that not only was Jonathan the editor at the time at the Condor, but he was like Susan's mentor, and so I also feel like that was kind of an, an inappropriate relationship too, right? Completely. So. so wrong. You should not date your mentor mentee. Mm-hmm. That's that's just not how that relationship works. It's just not. <laughs> I think it's interesting too, though, because like at this point, Brandon is visibly upset. He is salty because of the, like, you know, the fact that Jonathan is going to be at the awards night and Susan is getting frustrated because she wants his support really badly, like to the point where she's like, Brandon, I need you there tonight. And he's like, no, you don't. You have Jonathan. And I think for me, this is almost scarier, Brandon. Like the fact that he hasn't gone full Brandon. It's Mm -hmm. like the I'm not mad, I'm disappointed version of Brandon. And this is almost scarier than full Brandon. Yeah, because this is. Brandon saying, like, you don't need me, and if you don't need me, why am I here? Yeah, it's, like, hurt Brandon. It's, like, it's, yeah, it's disappointed Brandon. It's it's painful. It hurts my heart. Like, just the idea of John ever being disappointed in me. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh my God. No, heart palpitations. Like, (laughs) having a moment. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Why am I sweaty all of a sudden? (laughs) I know, right? I'm like, ugh, should I, like, turn on a fan? Yeah. Um, And we do skip ahead to the award ceremony where, spoiler alert, Brandon isn't. Mm -hmm. Got all dressed up, but has not gotten himself to go yet, which is also very human of him to be like, I know I need to be there. I want to be there for her. But Jonathan is going to be there. And I still don't know what's up. But I know something is up. Yeah. And you can tell he's so torn. Like, he's like, I love Susan. Of course I want to support her. This article is amazing. Like all these things, but two things can be true. And that is true just as much as he's hurt by the fact that Jonathan is still there and he still doesn't know what's happening. And so I, I'm sure he's feeling a bit insecure about his relationship with Susan because he perhaps feels that Susan doesn't feel like she can trust him fully. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an amazing point. I mean, literally like she's not telling him something. Yeah. So 
I think that makes total sense. And contractually obligated Nat Busiccio comes <laughs> over and tells Brandon to stop getting in his own way and go. Yep. And at the award ceremony, turns out Elle is there for the sole reason of my friend is throwing this event. It was very uh, Lucinda at <laughs> the uh, task force event. Yeah. Just here. Why? Because. Yeah, reasons. Yeah. But because she is a supermodel, mm-hmm. Chancellor Arnold is like all about her. And the fact that he gets this introduction through Steve, who is clearly taken, and he is a single man who is also the chancellor of CU, didn't you know? <laughs> he invites Elle to sit with them at their table. And that's really all I have to say about that. Yeah. There's there's really not much more that happens in this, and it's all made up as a joke, so, you know. I will say the only bright spot in that part of the story is that Chancellor Arnold's name is Arnold Arnold. <laughs> I just, like, I kind of picture... Like, I don't know, maybe they were just, like, so excited about the baby. They were like, oh, what's the baby's name? And they just said Arnold. (laughs) And so somebody wrote it down, and then they were like, well, I guess it's too late now. Like, (laughs) it reminds me of in New Girl when Winston names the baby Dan Bill. Dan Bill. (laughs) Dan Bill Bishop. They're like, you're kidding, right? He's like, no, I'm not. Dan Bill Bishop. I mean, this is how names like, you know, you know, like John Johnson and, you know, things like that happen, right? Like, it has to be. It, it be has to be. <laughs> literally, like, in Nordic countries, it's like the, uh, like, Jakobsen is, like, literally the son of Jacob. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, I'm, like, daughter is literally the version for women. And it's, mm-hmm. like... That's just for everyone. So there could be a thousand Jan's daughters out there and you're not related. (laughs) You just happen to have the same dad's name. Literally the other day we were watching soccer and there's a Jan's daughter on Orlando Pride. And then there's Mm -hmm. also a Jan's daughter on. uh, Is that Portland? No, it's uh, Wolfsburg. Oh, yes. In the Champions League. And so we were watching these two games and we get to the Champions League game, and they say Jan's daughter, and John goes, wait a minute. <laughs> She's on Orlando. Yeah. How is she in two places at once? <laughs> and then we looked him up, and they're both on the Icelandic national team. And I was like, well, next time we watch Iceland play, we have to count the Jan's daughters. Exactly. Why? But he, like, he just completely threw him for a loop. He was just I not prepared for it. I get it. And... Yeah, Elle and Arnold Arnold are having a night. They're hitting it off, that's for sure. They really are. And Claire tells Steve that he he messes with this, she's going to be pissed. Yep. And, and we know Steve never listens to Claire. And like, but they, oh, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> I honestly didn't write a ton down for when Brandon shows up. I know that, like, you know, Jonathan was on one side of Susan, then there was Susan, then Brandon takes the other chair. And so she mm-hmm. immediately turns, like, full body language, so excited that Brandon is there. And Jonathan is very unhappy mm-hmm. that the attention is not on him anymore. But what I noticed was that Brandon sits next to Steve, 
sees Elle across the table and says something to Steve, like, explain. And Steve says, Shahiz. And then my mind just went blank because they're mocking a woman at the table in front of yes. everyone, in front yes. of their girlfriends who are mm-hmm. sophisticated women. Yep. There were specifically two things I wrote down, one of which you just mentioned that, again, offended me wholeheartedly. And so I don't I don't want to talk about it because mm-hmm. I get too mad about it. Like I'm I'm real like you pointed out earlier, we've learned and grown and there are still issues and there are still so many things wrong with you know commentary on transgender and just so many things. But we've done better. And I have we've to keep better. reminding myself that this is this is better. I mean you can look at every type of situation, like think about civil rights movement, think about um, really anything quote unquote controversial. And at one point it was really bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And like all we've done is try to get better and better. So I just, yeah, that little, I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds was brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do think it's important to say that, you know, we are looking at this from 2022. And I think the idea that we can look back on it and call out where it was wrong is important. And I think, you know, even a year or two from now, maybe even six months from now, Mm -hmm. like we could listen back to this episode and be like, we left so much out. Yeah, for sure. Because there's, there is constant learning and growing and like expecting people to be better. I expect myself to be better every single day. For sure. And (laughs) speaking of things that made us upset. (laughs) Great. We say it. We say. I'm sorry. We stay at the award ceremony for a little while, so there is some stuff that we have to talk about. Yeah, because at one point, it's basically conversation starting for Elle to be like, "Oh, I I never thought to ask. What did you write about? What are you nominated for?" Mm-hmm. And Susan says, "A woman's right to choose." To which Jonathan replies, "Do you ever wonder why men don't have the right to choose?" Steve says it. Steve says it. And then is it Claire that says maybe it has something to do with the fact that men don't have uterus or ovaries? Yes. And then Susan continues, or morning sickness, labor pain, C-sections, or sagging breasts. Which are all very true, and we're like 30% of the way there. But then there's also (laughs) the idea that, like, you should not be excluding people that are not women. Yeah. Like, people that have uteruses are not uteri. People that have... (laughs) uteri, I'm going to stick with uteri, are not exclusively women. Right. Which, For sure. I, like, I think that was a conversation that they weren't really thinking about when they wrote this episode, but the fact that there is a trans woman sitting at this table, and then Arnold, because he has no idea, asks Elle if she's ever been pregnant. Right. And she says she can't have children because she's a woman who doesn't have a uterus. And it just... It was really hard to watch all of this happen. And you know that whoever wrote this, and I did not look at who wrote this episode, and I don't know that I really want to know, uh, but whoever wrote it was probably, like, really proud that they wrote this conversation. And, yeah, they're, like, 30% of the way there, but there are some glaring issues. Yeah, for I sure. Like, no, I totally agree. Like, they're it's they're so close. They're so and, close. Which means they were probably right on. 30 years ago, you know, like they, they were doing a good job 
with what knowledge they had, what things were happening. But yeah, I think the the things that bothered me, there's so many things. But yeah, the part about the fact that Elle is a transgender woman and she's sitting there like, I can't have children, but then also says pregnancy is a gift, not a burden, which just really isn't the point. No. You know, because the, the point is not about whether or not you can have children. It's not about whether or not people want children. It's that no matter the situation, it should be your choice because it's your body. That's the, it all comes down yeah. to bodily autonomy and who yes. has the right to my body, and that's me. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, so close. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so, so close. And then Susan wins. There's a moment where Jonathan says that he doesn't believe in abortion, but I just do not care what Jonathan says. Like yeah. that I could have muted the entire episode when he speaks and never missed anything. Mm-hmm. I don't care. But Susan wins. So she gets up to give her speech and she accepts the word on behalf of all of the women who have had to face this difficult and personal decision and they have to live the rest of their life with the consequences of their actions. Right. And again, it's it's a little exclusionary of language, but. 1996 I have to I don't want to let it go but I'm going to try and let it go for the moment yeah. um but I think this is also really pointing out that they're trying to just like really drive it home that Susan went through a traumatic experience that she has never been able to deal with and yeah. frankly Jonathan repeatedly showing up in her life is not helping and clearly not learning from this experience Mm-mm. I think so I loved how Susan ended her speech it honors choice but it also honors courage um, because it, it's a little double meaning there right it honors mm-hmm. the the choice that you have to make and the courage to make that choice but also the courage to potentially speak up like how she Susan is doing now mm-hmm. um with that being said, it's really unfortunate that, like you said, Jonathan keeps showing up in her life when she has not been able to process or deal or cope or speak about mm-hmm. these experiences, but also that he is still so adamant about all the things that he views Um he and just he, doesn't show a lot of empathy in this situation. It's and I and so it, it, like I get the point why he's here is to kind of help bring this plot point forward, but I, I just don't understand. I and, and okay, <laughs> here I go, rambling. Can't get my <laughs> thoughts together. But there are so many Jonathans out there in this world still today. Mm-hmm. who don't show empathy and who are set in their ways and stuck on a point. Um, my dad says this thing all the time when you get in an argument with somebody or you're talking to somebody and he always says, are you making a point or are you making a difference? And to me, Jonathan is trying to make a point throughout all this. He's not trying to make a difference. Like he's not really trying to convince somebody to come to his side, but he's trying to be like, this is my side. This is what I believe. This is what's right. And Mm -hmm. even going through, which I know we're about to get to the big reveal, but even going through this personally, which personally, I don't believe that you should have to go through something personally to show empathy, but Mm -mm. 
even going through something like this personally, him still escaping this without empathy for Susan and the situation is my biggest problem with the whole thing. If you're, if you feel the way you feel and you and I disagree, that's, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But if you can't show empathy for the other side or something else, I don't get it. I don't understand. It does not compute. No. And I think they wanted to make it so painfully clear that Jonathan is a villain and like he will never be anything. Like I remember, you know, a couple episodes ago when he first showed up and we were genuinely worried that he was actual competition and that this was going to be like a legit love triangle. Mm. And now I'm seeing this and I'm like, no, he is an emotionally abusive asshole who won't leave her alone. Like he's literally, he graduated school. He moved to a different state. He left her life for, you know, X number of months. And now he won't stop going out of his way to fly back to her and be there at these important moments in her life. He didn't have to show up just because he got invited because he was the editor of the newspaper. Like, go away. You're not welcome. It just makes me feel like he's holding her emotionally hostage Mm -hmm. because of the decision that she made with her body. Well, and I think he knows, like we talked about earlier, they didn't break up because they didn't care about each other. And I think he's holding that over her. Like he is being emotionally manipulative. Mm -hmm. It makes me so mad. Yeah. And There's this brief scene with Steve and Elle and Claire, and I'm going to skip it because we can go back to it later. But out, like, after Susan wins her award, she and Brandon have this moment where Brandon's like, your speech was perfect. Everything was great. And, like, Nancy definitely deserves her privacy. But I also think it would be really great for her to know the impact that she's had. You should call her and tell her. Mm -hmm. At which point Susan's like, well, I don't have to call her because she's me and I had an abortion. And at first, Brandon has a really stupid reaction where he says, how'd that happen? I just want to be like, that's none of your business. And you've had sex, Brandon. You, <laughs> you know how babies happen. Literally, like, that's all, literally all you need to know. Nothing else but matters. But on the bright side, he recognizes immediately. He does. And I will, like, (laughs) I appreciate that. Literally, I wrote, like, I was about to write all of this stuff. And then he was like, actually, don't tell me. I have no right to ask you what happened. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God. Emotional roller coaster. But how about that? Like, I just want to focus on that for a second. Like, are you, like, Brandon Walsh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know. back? (laughs) Like, Brandon Walsh, who in season one punched Dylan for talking to his ex-girlfriend? <laughs> yeah. Like – What? I just – I really appreciate that he made a mistake, realized he made a mistake, and immediately was like, oh, shit, nope, that was wrong. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Like, mm-hmm. again, proving that it is all up to Susan because this is her business. This is her story. This is hers. And it's up to her if she wants to share it with anybody else. And I just, I guess I'm becoming a Brandon fan is all I have to say about this. And it is 
making me feel weird things inside. <laughs> right. Like I really just want to go back to what was it, 2019 that we started this podcast and be <laughs> yeah. like, you're gonna love Brandon and not just for the one episode mullet. I mean, guys, like we so many listeners out here that listen to us hated how much we hated on Brandon. Rightfully so. I am here admitting that yes, I hated him then, but now I am like I'm full steam ahead on Brandon and I can't believe it. And you guys, it's yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here we I are. know. <laughs> I know. It's wild. It is wild. But like beautiful moment that he tries like he stops her and says, like, I don't have to know. She decides to tell him anyway. And this is an issue I have with the writer's room, which might frankly have just been like the only way we can get abortion on television is to make it a punishment for her. Mm. Because what happened was her sister was killed by a car accident. She was reeling from this trauma, got drunk with Jonathan. They did not use a condom and she got pregnant. Yeah. Like – it couldn't just be they had sex and she got pregnant because condoms are only 99% effective. They can break. Maybe she missed a pill. Like, it could not just be that they had sex. It had to be yeah. my sister died. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I got pregnant. Like, it kind of rings back to when Brenda had to be punished for enjoying sex. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to bring up, too, of how things have potentially changed over the years, too, is that, you know, there are so many, like, I guess, situational abortions, I guess, mm. when in reality, it could literally just be that you got pregnant, you you took precautions, you were doing things to not get pregnant, but, you know, accidents happen, things happen, got pregnant, you don't want to be. that. Like, that's that's all that has to happen, right? Like, so I think that is... I I agree with you about the whole writer situation. Like maybe this really is the way they the the only way they could get abortion on television. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's another point that we can look at to say, hey, I'm glad things have changed a little bit since Mm -hmm. then, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is honestly the best time to bring up the Tumblr that I spent all day looking at that I told you all about. That was remember the abortion episode and I can like link it in our show notes because truly I enjoyed going down this rabbit hole but it's pretty much like tv from like the 80s 90s and 2000s and how they've handled abortion episodes and yeah watch like looking at things dating you know as recently as 90210 all the way up to like there was an episode of girls that was in there Mm. I think there was actually two episodes of girls and then, like, the Tumblr comments of people talking about, like, there was an episode, I think it was a Stars show, where the pilot was an abortion episode. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, TV has truly changed. And it talks about, like, you know, episodes that have, like, we're just discussing our options. They don't even say the word, right? Right. Versus, right. like, you know, th- this episode really drives home exactly what happened. They, you know talk about you know pro-choice decisions they they don't handle it very well but like to go from what had happened in the 70s and 80s and etc up to now like Mm -hmm. complete change Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just very interesting to see how it happens and 
very glad that somebody took the time to put a blog together about it. Yeah. I just got to say. Absolutely. No, I agree. And Jonathan shows up because he just has amazing timing to ruin everything. Mm-hmm. And they they get in this fight where he says that she didn't give him a chance to change her mind, which, sorry, but it's not your decision, bro. And it basically ends with him saying that he can't forgive her. And I didn't check because I didn't want to be spoiled, but I can only assume we are not seeing Jonathan again. Yeah, I've not looked either. Um, I I already spoiled something from looking things up in this particular <laughs> episode. Uh, so, yeah, I, I did not look. I have to assume. And I hope so much that we never see Jonathan again. I got to say, brava to Miss Emma Caulfield. Like, y'all, she is a recurring character. She is, she has been a wonderful addition to this cast. Like, I cannot, I cannot say it enough. She, she's elevated every scene that she's been in. It is very clear that she has all the acting chops in the world just to see her speech to see her conversation with Brandon and to see this argument with Jonathan and and then her final um scene you know Brandon oh go ahead no you go like Brandon got her plaque for her after like he walked away once Jonathan confronted her um had her purse he got it for her. That was super sweet. He just basically level sets and is like, hey, I get it. Like, I understand where your connection was. She is talking about how she wants to forgive herself. But you can you can just see on her face that she's emotionally exhausted, right? And mm-hmm. I just love how she has played this entire thing. Like, say – like, we've been obviously very – um affected by this storyline and a lot of the ways that things were handled but one thing I can say that has been a positive is Emma Caulfield because she has taken every single storyline every single plot point and every single scene in my opinion and just done it so beautifully I don't I don't know if I would have liked this season as much without her and that is saying I think that's speaking volumes I know I get super passionate about this kind of thing but like I don't know. I just have all all the respect, all the love, all the adoration for Emma Caulfield in this show. And I, yeah, I just love her. I mean, it is not news to anyone that has ever listened to us how much we value the casting department sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because when it comes to episodes like this and they are asking people to do like the most, like she's yeah. a recurring character. She's, I would argue, like a guest star on this season, right? And she's carrying this episode pretty single-handedly. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Because, yeah, this I is wish also... I wish I could tell her. <laughs> I mean... Like, I don't know. Sometimes, it, like, just acting in general, 
like I've always viewed it as such an art, but sometimes I'm like, man, how, how do you do this? How, how do you step into this fake world and for however long it takes to film each shot and each take, how, how do you go there? How do you do it? And then how do you come out of it? Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just such an art and I, oh man, I just, yeah. I, I keep repeating myself, so we can move on. I, yeah, because, like, I am ready to keep going. I'm just like, network television is really hard, and she is just doing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I will say, like, the other thing really in this story with, like, Susan and Jonathan and Brandon is after she finishes telling Brandon everything that happened and that she's had an abortion, like, she basically asks him if it changes anything between them, you know, kind of saying, like, I was worried if I told you, you would see me as damaged goods and leave me. And Brandon's like, it doesn't change anything. And it's so genuine. It's so sincere. And it's literally like the only thing he had to say and he did it. Yeah. Like it was perfect. That's why sometimes I'm like, writers, you can do it. I know you can. You're so good. And then so bad. <laughs> like, ugh. Ugh. Yeah, because uh, awards dinner is not over. No, it's not. So at some point, Elle has gotten up to go to the bathroom, and Steve follows her into the ladies' room. And then there's definitely a moment where she's like, this is the ladies' room, and he's just like, mm-hmm, it is. But he's basically confronted her in the bathroom, very unsafe mm-hmm. space, and says – that he's like begging her like do not do anything to Chancellor Arnold. He's like I don't know, an innocent man. He's going to be affected by like he hasn't dated anyone in forever and it's going to crush him that you're the woman that was attracted to, or you're the person that was attracted to him because I don't think Steve sees her as a woman because he's a no. pig. And somehow in all this conversation like she is taking this in like a weird stride of just like well maybe he'll be fine with the extra equipment downstairs, which is fucking weird like it just feels like she's existing to make other people uncomfortable with her body which doesn't seem like the thing anybody does with their life yeah but in this whole conversation Claire is in one of the stalls and here's Steve begging this woman to leave Chancellor Arnold alone because he's in love with Claire and she essentially agrees and leaves and Claire is touched she swoons. She practically literally. Melts. She's just like, oh my god, and then tells him he's a good guy. No, he's not, and you're all stupid. <laughs> and the night ends with the chancellor like literally ready to go home with L. He is like, I'll get a cab. We're gonna go get some drinks. You guys take the car. And Elle tells him, like, that's not going to be possible because I'm a supermodel and I'm about to travel the world. So I'm sorry. Unfortunately, this is where our night ends. And the chancellor is just (laughs) so happy that he got to have a date with a beautiful woman. And that's where it ends. And I have never been so happy that a storyline ended. Yeah, no kidding. Actually, I take it back. I have not been this happy that a storyline ended since Palm Springs ended. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
I just, I hated it. Like, the Brandon and Susan stuff was so amazing. The rest of the awards dinner was hot garbage. Yeah, there's so many things I didn't write down. Yeah, I I think I hit like three pages in my notes with all the spaces and all the jumping around, and I'm usually like hitting four and a half, five. I just, mm-hmm. I just couldn't. Well, and luckily we can move on. <laughs> I'm almost excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mary, what else happened this week? Kelly has a meeting with her professor about all those classes she skipped to do cocaine with Colin. This is somewhat of a wake-up call, as is a brief call-out by Donna that she needs to get her shit together. She quits cocaine, encourages Colin to follow suit, and studies very hard for her next test. It all seems to be going okay. Except Val is trying to convince Colin to get clean by organizing a little career boost. She connects him with an art collector who likes Colin's art enough to spend $10,000 on it. Unfortunately, the collector only likes Colin's cocaine paintings, so Colin's defo using that money to buy more cocaine. Yeah. That yeah, that's about what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I always try and like think of some way to transition into like going into more detail, but I'm just like, yeah. Kelly thinks that she is stronger than her addiction and it bites her in the ass. I mean, something she keeps saying, like she I think she ended up saying it three times. Um, you know, after she learns that like her grades are struggling because she's not been in class. And she has a big test to study for. She goes to the peach pit and talks to Joe and Donna. And Donna's like, you know, immediately cold to her, rightfully so. Kelly says that she's been a bitch and things have been out of control. She's used the phrase like out of control, I think, three times in the episode. Um, So it's one thing to like, like she clearly realizes this is not what I should be doing. But I'm not going to really deal with it. I'm just going to, you know, rationalize it and say, well, it was just a binge. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just out of control. But it's okay now. Like, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it started off with missing classes. She has a huge test that has she has to do well on. And now she's, like, damaging a friendship, her best friend. So. Yeah. And, you know, I can really appreciate that Kelly – you know, stay sober for arguably the duration of this episode to study for this test. Because I feel like we have seen her really care about school before. Like she has not Mm -hmm. talked about her psychology classes pretty much since psychology got her into a cult. Right. But she cares about school. I mean, she did really well on her psychology tests in the past. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can really appreciate that they're true to character in this where a teacher who values Kelly because Kelly is a good student in class, is like, look, something is clearly wrong and you have a test coming up and you need to focus. And that's Kelly's moment of like, I can at least stay sober for this week. Exactly. Exactly. Which, yeah, I also really, uh, I don't care for Kelly just walking up to Joe and Donna like nothing is wrong. I don't know, her whole like, Oh, people that are worried about me, the line starts on the left. Yeah, she, it's like she started off a little defensive and self-pity, 
you mm-hmm. know? And Donna was like, mm, no, okay, I'm over this. Like, I needed you. You weren't there. That That's why I'm mad at you. You're being yeah. a shitty friend. And then even she says, like, oh, I'm sorry so many people care about you. Yeah. Like, I like props to Donna for, like, standing up for herself and standing up for the issue, right? Uh, Donna's the best, man. She had, like, three lines in this episode, and she was the best. I know. She was in this episode for 30 seconds to be like, man, I can't wait till we're not in the rest of this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, like, dropped all of this. And I love as soon as Kelly sits down, Joe is like, bye. <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, I have to go anywhere else. Uh, but, yeah, so then Kelly clearly has this little wake-up call, like Mary mentioned, and is like, shit, I got to study. I got to, like, be a better friend, all this stuff. And so we get a little, like, inside on to what Colin's doing, and he and Val are looking at slides for, I guess, his, like, portfolio or something. It was really unclear what Mm -hmm. that was for. But, you know, the collector is, like, interested in him. And then she immediately is like, hey, man, you got any blow? And I was like, Valerie, what? I, it tricked me for a second. I like I was typing, and then like as soon as she said it, my head snapped, <laughs> like to look at the screen. <laughs> Agent of chaos, like she is mm-hmm. here to entrap him. She's like, "You got any blow?" And he's like, "Why?" And she's like, "I got you." Yeah, I knew it. Like she's like Joan Calamezzo. <laughs> I just like Colin makes me so mad. He's made me mad before. I've never cared for him. But the amount of times that he says things like, I'm using, not abusing. Mm-hmm. Okay, share. Like, what do you... Anyway, and so Val goes to leave because she's like, no, like, you need to stop because, like, your career is literally about to, like, take off. And for some reason, I'm being, like, sort of your manager. <laughs> and Kelly walks in, like, so sus. Like, she's just eyeing Valerie, not saying a word. And they kind of have a little outside conversation away from Colin. And Kelly or Valerie essentially, like, of course she does, blames Kelly for, like, Colin continuing to do drugs because she knows about it. But then also, like, <laughs> she's, she's straight up like, oh, I don't care what you do. But Colin has talent. And so he needs to stop doing cocaine. You can go and die for all I care. <laughs> I just, like, she can't help herself. Like, Val keeps saying that she wants to be part of the friend group and like she wants to be in this to the point that she had her best friend come from Buffalo and help her scam them into being her friend Mm -hmm. because she didn't know what else to do. And now she's just like, Kelly, you can go die. I do not care. But like Colin will not like. And this goes with her thing from last episode where she was like, Colin, nobody cares about you except me. Yeah. She's continuing to, like, isolate Colin, which is wild. Anyway, and so (laughs) later on, Kelly's sleeping. Colin comes to wake her up. Apparently, she was up all night studying for this test. So, like, clearly, like, this is important to her. Mm -hmm. And Kelly's like, I don't want to do cocaine anymore. She, like, straight up says, like, I do not want to do this, but I want you to stop, too. And he's just basically like, nope. That's not going to happen. I'm going to continue doing cocaine whether you want me to or not. She even tries to, like, do the puppy dog eyes, and he's just like, "Mm, no, that's not going to work. No, he's literally like, if you want to stop, you have willpower. I'm not going to stop. And, like, Mm -hmm. I know she's tried to break up with him several times before, but, like, this is another one of those times. Kelly, you are sober, Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, you're still going through stuff. I don't think the emotional – 
roller coaster that she has been on with her dad and with everything else is over yet. Like, I don't think she has fully processed it because she has not given herself time to. She just went into a drug hole. Yeah. But, like, you've got, like, the bright light of day here. You should leave him. Mm -hmm. You should go back to your own apartment. I know. It just, I don't know why she stays with him, man. I I mean, it's it's literally just because she wants to do coke, and I guess she doesn't want to buy it herself. I guess so, which I, is actually a really good segue to the, not the next scene, but the next scene after that um, when it comes to Kelly. So, like, real quick, the collector comes by to see Colin's art. He tells Valerie he tossed the stash that morning, so nobody's apparently doing coke anymore. And a collector gets really interested in a couple paintings. That's all that. But the segue I was referring to is, like, Kelly goes to the Peach Pit um, to get some pie to go and runs into David. And David David basically says Colin sucks, which is true. And Kelly's trying to be like, nah, like, you don't need to worry about me. I'm fine. Things just got out of control. She uses the phrase again. Things got out of control, like a binge and, like, a reaction to bad news. And this is kind of the moment that we had been waiting for, for David to be like, hmm, okay, let me tell you about my experience with meth. Do you remember that? And he basically calls her out and says, like, okay, like a binge? Like, that, like you're not just going to stop. Like, this isn't a cold turkey situation. This is called white-knuckled sobriety. And you're eventually going to give in to this. And so to your point, it's like, because she hasn't dealt with all the stuff that's been happening – and because she has, even though she says she doesn't want to do it anymore, it's like, yeah, she's not done. Like, you're, it's not an easy thing to kick. Yeah. I mean, he literally asks her, when was the last time you thought about doing coke? And she says this morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's a moment when she first comes up to David and they're talking and she says, like, oh, I'm done doing coke. Yeah, I'm fine. And she's like, I quit cold turkey. Everything's good. And he takes this, like, tiny little sip of his soda and it's just like crying is a reaction to bad news, not coke. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he even says, like, I would be relieved if I believed you. Like, I think what I appreciated the most about the whole Kelly Collins situation is that the two people closest to Kelly, David and Donna, were both very straight up with her this episode. Like, they were barely in this episode, but each time they were blunt and they were honest with Kelly, which I thought was important. The only thing I wish, which is not the point of the show, and we had the same argument when David was on meth, is, like, where are their parents? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, David had a drug problem. Jackie had a drug problem. How is it that the moment you find out your sister is doing coke, you don't immediately call your parents? Right. Right. Totally. I mean, like, yeah. I, I mean... There's also, like, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, uh, there's a code and you don't just go calling someone's parents about them doing drugs. But, like... Well, no. I I think the parents should be involved, too. I mean, it's the classic thing with, like, all teen TV shows is that, for whatever reason, parents just, like, they're all absentee. Or they're, like, yeah. you know, whether the executives don't want to pay them or they don't want to have to think of storylines for them. I mean, One Tree Hill, literally, like, the drama queens, they talk about this literally every episode about like where are the parents <laughs> I just think about it constantly I'm like I know you can drag out the story a lot longer than like we found Kelly doing coke and Jackie immediately takes her away to like 
you know, a rehab or something like. Yeah. It's more interesting to have Kelly try and deal with it on her own. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes sense. Like teenagers are always like, we can handle it on our own. And then your teenage friends are just like, I believe in you. You can handle it on your own. We don't have to tell our parents. Totally. Like, I get it. <laughs> just as a woman in my 30s, I'm like, call your mother. Yeah. I'm like, drink some water. <laughs> go to bed on time and call your mother. <laughs> Eat your vegetables. Mm-hmm. Call All your of mom. them. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so later on, uh, Valerie gives Colin a check for 10 G's because apparently that collector liked his painting enough to buy two of them. Um, and Colin's like ecstatic, not just because he got 10 G's, but because he's like, dude, that was just my answer. And Val's like, what are you, what are you talking about? And he's like, you don't, you, surprise, surprise. I was high when I painted those. And Val's like, um, so? And he basically is saying, like, he, the only reason he can paint well enough to get a collector to buy his paintings is when he's high. And Val's like, um, no, that is the opposite of the point. That is completely wrong. <laughs> and he's literally just like, like snapping the check in his hands, be like, this is going to buy a lot of cocaine. Right? And And then later on, he like literally is starting to blow this money. He is going to go through this money in a day and a half. Seriously. Like he goes out, he cashes this check, buys an expensive bottle of champagne, which I just want to be like, bro, like the $20 bottle of Prosecco is just, it's fine. That's promise good. It's good. Yeah, I promise it's good. <laughs> the bubbles still hit you all the same. You are 21 and an artist <laughs> who has sold two paintings. Maybe. We That's don't know it. how old this kid is. Like uh, he's he's done two paintings and two <laughs> commissions for Valerie. But we know he's old enough to understand that like he could have just bought the $20 champagne. Absolutely. And I love like I just love this so much. Like Kelly comes home She's got her test back. She's apparently aced it. And Colin made a souffle. (laughs) There is no part of me that thinks that Colin is capable of making a souffle. Also, like, yeah, go ahead. Unless he did a bunch of coke while he was cooking, and that's how he whipped the egg whites. Yeah, for sure. But also, it's like, what what a dish. You know, to decide to make, like, oh, I made a souffle. Like, I'm used to hearing things like, oh, I made chicken piccata. Like, (laughs) right? that's for some reason a common food to make as a celebratory dinner. I don't know. But a souffle? You got to watch that thing rise, man. (laughs) Right? Like, a lot. And he's like, I got a souffle. There's candles. I got something else. And then Kelly's like, I hope it's not cocaine. And then he comes back with the champagne. He's like, what? And she goes... I hope you bought champagne. (laughs) But I also really enjoyed when he was like, I sold two paintings. Guess for how much? And Kelly's is like $5,000. Like she can't even believe someone paid him this much money. (laughs) He's like, double it. Double it. (laughs) She's like, no, I don't believe you. I mean, I guess like on the bright side, he didn't immediately go buy cocaine. He like bought champagne instead. And that's we haven't. We haven't seen that he bought cocaine, but I'm pretty sure, like, hours later, he has cocaine, and they've been alone in the apartment together. 
Yes, but he says like he didn't throw away all of his stash. So that could have been leftover okay. cocaine. That's like, you know, day old cocaine. <laughs> well, if it's day old, you got to use it. It won't last much <laughs> exactly. longer. It's got an expiration date, guys. I know things about cocaine. <laughs> I don't. That's a complete lie, guys. <laughs> if there's one thing I know about cocaine, it's that it goes stale. <laughs> yeah. And you really don't want stale cocaine going up your nose, man. It's just a bad experience all around. No, when it goes stale, you like put it out on a sheet tray and you put it in the oven for like 10 minutes and toast it. <laughs> Just to crisp it up a little bit. <laughs> and they make them like cheese twills and you just eat it. God, this is how desensitized we've become to cocaine. Like, I know. <laughs> these are hard drugs. <laughs> put a piece of bread in there <laughs> to keep it fresh. Oh my God. It's like a box of cookies. Yeah. Oh man, how how is he storing the cocaine? That matters. <laughs> it it is in an airtight glass container. Yeah, fair. So maybe that helps. Like kind of concurrently to the souffle date, we're over at Casa Walsh. David is over. He's massaging Val. He comments on how stressed she is, and he keeps trying to reassure. He's like, "No, Kelly's got this." Even though literally a couple hours ago, he's like, "Kelly, you don't have this. I don't believe you have this." Mm-hmm. but he's trying to like I think he's really trying to reassure Val to be like Colin's gonna be okay Kelly's a good person she can influence she can stop and she can influence him to stop and I love that Val is like I actually think Colin is gonna influence Kelly which feels mm-hmm. very historically accurate for Kelly we've talked about how unfortunately easily she's been influenced Yep. and then I really enjoyed that David was like, oh, it's my turn for a massage. And then Val is just like, okay, sure. Have you been working out? <laughs> like, rather than give him a massage, she's like, how about I just lay on my back and you just, like, go to work for another five minutes? What's funny, though, is, like, it almost felt like an imp- improvised line because the way that Brian Austin Green reacts is kind of giggly and, like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> You're giving me a compliment? What do I do with this? Like, it was kind of cute in, like, a surprised way. (laughs) But then also it's like he was like, wait, no. Like, nope. I was supposed to be, no, I get a massage. (laughs) And then she's like, but no. Yeah, I want to do something else. (laughs) It was cute. It was, like, very heavy conversation, and I usually don't like it, but they actually did not linger on Val and David. Because they really have to linger on Kelly and Colin to the point that not only do you see the boom mic dip in and out, you see the boom mic shadow on the wall for the entire scene. That was wild. Yeah. Up until like the close shots. Yeah. Boomy was like, ooh, what's happening here? (laughs) I refuse to think that Boomy is voyeuristic in that way. (laughs) Yeah. He's just like, Kelly, no, don't do it. He's more of an eavesdropper than a voyeur. <laughs> yeah. No, he he loves the tea, but yes. he's not here for this. He's more just like, Kelly, it's okay. You can walk away. Right. Which he gets the tea because, like, eventually Kelly's just like, so you didn't throw away all of the cocaine, right? And Ke- And Colin, like, could not be happier. He's like, you better believe I didn't. And, like, goes to get the cocaine. And apparently it was just in a box. Like, Kelly could have just found it. And yeah. Yeah. And then the episode ends with her 
cutting lines on a mirror on the bed. Getting all excited about it. Cool, cool, cool. Also, when she's like, you know, it tastes really good right now. I've never had cocaine, but I was just like, lies. I refuse to believe that tastes good. I just don't. Like, I, I have a hard time believing it has a taste. And I I know, like, we've had, when they bought the, I guess, fake cocaine or not cocaine, when Kelly's like, mm, this tastes weird. <laughs> like, apparently it does have a taste. But I'm like, does it, though? I thought it was just, like, goodies powder. <laughs> I, the, o- the only thing I can think of is, like, when you have to, like, do nose sprays, like the Flonase kind of nose sprays, mm. and then you, like, feel the drip in the back of your throat. Yeah. Like, I see what you mean. That's my best. But again, have not done cocaine. Could not tell you what it tastes like. Yeah, like it's not so much a taste bud thing, but like a like a throat sitch. I don't know. Sorry, I feel like it numbs you. Like when you go to the dentist and they put topical Ooh. stuff because that's like Novocaine yeah. and lidocaine, and I feel All like that it's, ends in ain. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's yeah. That is the conclusion I'm drawing. <laughs> hey, it's better than ours. <laughs> We're just like Flonase. <laughs> yeah, like Gatorade no powder. powder. That too. <laughs> they cut it with Gatorade. They're like, do you want Tang or do you want Bahama Breeze blue oh Gatorade? God. Tang. It's a kick in a glass. <laughs> it's a kick up your nose. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that episode ends like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally, my last line is, they do more coke. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I was like, so it was just in a box? And I didn't write anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's literally, like, it was unfortunately so predictable that Kelly was just like, I'm going to be better than this. And everyone was like, it's a lot harder than you think it is. Yep, exactly. And then it was harder than she thought it was, and it's going to keep continuing, and we're only on episode 19 of 31 episodes. I know. I was just, like, about to give you guys the title of next week's episode, and I was like, oh, my God, we're already at 20? Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> There's 31, not 24. What is next week's episode? Yeah, so um, let's see here. Next week, we have season six, episode 20, Flying. Hi. Probably. I mean, if, if like, this is any indication of what we just ended on, it has to be, right? It has to be. Either that or it's a misadventure in a hot air balloon. Love that idea. I hope it's, oh my gosh, Colin now has the $10,000 check and he's like, let's just blow it. Hot air balloon. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking more like, let's be cute about it and go over to Donna and Joe on vacation and they've decided to do a romantic hot air balloon. Oh my gosh. The next episode is just what Joe and Donna did on their weekend in Santa Barbara. Mm. I hope so. <laughs> I kind of I would miss love them. That. Yeah. I mean, we do have to get back to Joe's heart soon. You can't end the last episode with him having like heart palpitations running stairs and this episode just be like proof of life. He's still alive. Yeah. And like, nothing- how about that? We literally left on a cliffhanger. I guess Joe's fine. You know? Like, <laughs> like no, what? I'm j- how am I just not realizing? Like, the last thing we saw was Joe col- nearly collapsing. On I'm the not. I really think they put him in this episode to be like, look, he's fine. Yeah. When you said proof of life, it didn't click. But now I'm like, you said proof <laughs> of life and you are right. <laughs> and it also makes me wonder if he told Donna what happened. 
Mm, highly doubtful in my opinion. No one was there. Yeah. And he's been avoiding it. Mm. So I I kind of hope next episode touches on him again just to like give us some reassurances that he is truly alive. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so for this week's episode, do y'all have no quote of the week? What about nah. Mary? Do you have a moment of the week? Not really. The only I thing mean, I did write down some quotes though. Okay. I mean, I did too. I just um, wouldn't consider like any of any them. of them honorable. Perhaps except for some of the stuff Susan said and some of the stuff Brandon said. Yeah, I had just one that I wanted to bring up from Susan that I loved. And it was, spare me the sanctimonious crap, Jonathan. You were pro-choice until you realized you didn't have one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love her. And I also loved, like, the follow-up right there because Jonathan was like, wow, that's harsh. And she's like, it's supposed to be. Like, she doesn't try to be like, no, you don't. Like, it was kind of that situation of where it's like, you don't get to be hurt by this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which – well, let's also talk about Susan's growth with Jonathan, where when he first showed up around Halloween and surprise kisses her in front of her boyfriend, she's just like, you just don't understand. And then now she is just like, get out. Mm-hmm. I love Susan so much. Let's just talk about her. Susan. God, I would. Just I mean, another I basically hour. did for right? a while. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to, like, when you get finished editing this and I go back and listen, we're going to have to clock and see, start tracking, like, my rants on characters. I guess my raves on characters. I mean, it could be both depending on the episode, but I don't think we'll ever have a rant about Susan. I feel like, Ew, knock God on wood. No. If we do, I'll be pissed. My rant will be of how they forced me to have a rant. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be like, Susan is an angel. I wish nothing bad on her, but the writers. Yeah, exactly. I'll never place blame on her. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I can't think of any of the things that Leslie calls Anne in Parks and Rec, but I feel like. (laughs) It's like you beautiful um, land mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm going to start referring to Susan just going to be like, blah, blah, blah. The beautiful butterfly, Susan. Yes. (laughs) Well, I guess we'll find out what flying is about next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at back to podcast. You can also shoot us over an email at back to podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with all your friends and family. All that stuff really helps us get seen and build a community and give y'all a better product. And if you give us a shout out, like a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll shout you out on the pod. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm Ariel. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Mary. Bye. Bye. See ya.